Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us writing for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour. She leaned across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that. Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, went to the ABC and audition. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. as <laughs> are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello, and welcome to episode 192 of The Stages Podcast. I'm Peter Ayers, and my guest today is performer's agent and manager, Mark Gogol. Mark has been involved in the entertainment industry for over 30 years. His experience has encompassed roles as performer, director, teacher, casting director, and actor's representative. It is vast experience that has garnered him unique opportunity, connection and wisdom to guide the cohort of clients who he represents at Mark Gogol Enterprises. In this engaging and informative conversation, Mark reflects on the past year of COVID and the dent it has made in a vital industry. He ponders too how we might return to theatre and production in the year ahead. And we learn much about the work he does in supporting actors and performers to contribute extensively on our stages. Mark is a beacon of the industry, charming, charismatic and highly informed. He is the ideal guest to join in conversation on stages. Um, give me a... Give you a hello. Hello. How's that? Yeah, that's good. Is that you right? did radio, did you? Oh, yes. 3DB. <laughs> <laughs> Um, not many people remember 3DB anymore, Peter. Does 3DB not exist anymore? No. Not, not KZ or UZ or... The only one really is... 3AW. 3AW. Right. Yeah. Did you grow up listening to radio? Was that uh, an avid presence in your house? Yeah, it was, I suppose. We, you know, we, I used to listen to the... I used to listen to 3AK when it was called no, Where No Wrinklies Fly, because they wanted to change it. Because it used to be XY, it used to be with all the contemporary music, the pop music. Right. And then there was 3AK, where there were No Wrinklies Fly. Because it was kind of like a... It was their call sign, or...? Yes. It was like a very modden thing that the Wrinklies, meaning the older people, don't... insulting to the blue very, rinse it. very... We didn't care then, because I was young. But yes, now yes, I'd But now it. you'd be horrified. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, some great talent. <clears throat> sort of, you know, when we were growing up also listening to those stations, you know, Bert Newton having his own show. Yeah. And Bert Crock. came back over after, back in after a period of time. So he did, I think, AW for a while too. Dita Cobb. Yes. Was she a Melbourne personality or Sydney? You're not this old. No, well, Peter. I, my grandfather would talk me. I was, was going to say. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. No, no, actually, Michael Norman told me. Michael, yeah. well, Michael Norman would know all these people. Because of his dad, Charles. I know. Yeah. And he told you that we've got the same birth date? Yeah, yes, he did. Yes, he, he tells did. everybody that. Right. And that I'm his younger brother. I mean, I'm his older brother, he says. Well, you um, modelled, didn't you? You had a bit oh, of a modelling career for a while. Very brief. Yeah, he, uh, he made out that we modelled together all the time, but I think we did about three parades together. Right. Yeah. Did I, you do... I, 
um, knitting pattern covers? Because he did. He did that. Yes, yes. He posing did. in cardigans. I didn't. Right. No, I was very low key. Very. But you were with Chadwick's, which no. was no. He told me you were with Chadwick's. No. That's the last time I used him as a researcher. No. Right. I never had a model agent. Never. Right. I was an actor, right. and when I was out of work, a couple of people said to me, "Would I do a couple of prose for them?" And I just laughed. Yeah. But we used to do things. Um, uh, Marina's ex-husband Peter Lowry we used to do and Rod Waterworth and people like that they used to do parades at um, chases and things like that at night yep. with the disco lights going we used to kind of semi-dance it you know it's weird terrific it's weird yeah. the things you do I know that was money that's what you did you yeah. did a bit of everything what you got to do especially now? when you're acting those, mm. those little jobs to sort of pay the bills absolutely well, Mark Gogol, thanks for, for joining Stages and uh, being centre stage in this episode. My pleasure. Um, Thank you for having me. In your uh, long career and varied career, which we'll talk about through this conversation, you've uh, been present at many opening nights as, as a performer and as an audience member, but also as an agent or manager to, to some of the country's finest talents. You know, I know you represent Marina Pryor and David Hobson and Correct. Alexander Lewis and Michael Cormick and... Sylvie Palladino, I shouldn't go on because I'll leave somebody You'll out. You'll leave someone out. I'll put a nose out of joint. Yeah. Um, but are you able to attend those opening nights now in, with your, you know, the mantle of agent and enjoy them? Or are you in business mode? It's a good question because, uh, and I'll be absolutely honest, it is difficult. Um, if you're an agent sitting there, you get nervous. Yeah. Of course you do. For your artist. Absolutely. And you want to make sure that, look, sometimes if it's a big production or whatever, I might even go to a preview or a family and friends beforehand to make sure that I've seen it so I know what to expect. Right. And that helps me relax. Fabulous, yes, yes, just check it, really it out. It does. So you might but, have seen it two or three times before. Oh, yeah. well, at least once. Yeah. yeah. And I do that on purpose just to see how things are going. And sometimes the artist wants a bit of feedback and I keep saying, well, I can't give you too much feedback. I'm not the director, I'm not the producer. But on a personal level, they, they like that that support base um, but uh, no, to answer your question quickly it's not easy to relax on those nights the, the best time I relax is when I'm overseas I go to a theatre which isn't an opening night I don't know anybody in the show I don't know anybody in the audience and I can just be myself and sit there and just take it in as a piece of entertainment mm-hmm. and you don't have to be too critical or analytical or whatever um, having said that, I must admit, last week I went to see Hamilton, which was wonderful. I didn't have anybody in the show, yeah. so that was a lot more relaxing too. Right. But the opening nights, there's always a bit of pressure, I think. I'd, I'd much prefer to go to a, um, a show that's not opening night. But you've got to be there. You've got to be there. It's part of the industry. They're a wonderful sense of occasion, aren't they? Because the show is finally given birth. It's, it's released for the public to sort of decide what they want to do do with it. the artist can relax a little bit because they've got that big pressured night out of the way um yeah but they're they're as you say they're an essential part of the industry look we've got to have them you know they're not as uh and they probably won't be as big as they used to be because we did the frozen opening in uh when was it december yeah uh and it's strange because of covid of course we're all you know we can't even mix with each other in different areas of the foyers and everything and afterwards you're not even allowed to see the artists afterwards and everybody kind of went into their own little space and went home i, yeah. I went to the pub with a couple of friends and you weren't allowed to stand up and wow. chat you had to sit you know at a, at a separate table i saw 
two of my artists, but one was going to catch up with family and the other one was going home to catch up with family. So it was an unusual opening night. And I think from now onwards, we're not, we haven't had big opening night parties for a while. No. Um, and that's one of the, the knock-on events of COVID, oh, I think. Because yeah. those mm. parties, they're fun, but they're tremendous networking oh, opportunities. That's what you do. Yeah. Of course you do. And quite often, I would say to my artists, um, and I'd say, look, we're tired, we want to go home. And I'd say, look, you can go home, but you must get out there. Number one, for publicity reasons. And number two, you've got to network. Yeah. And if they say, I want to go home, I said, okay, come with me. We'll do a quick round. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you're seen. And then you can disappear through the back door. Yeah. Uh, I think it's important, but uh, it's just one of the, it's part of the industry. Well, it's, it's show business. It is. Isn't it? That's yeah. right. And, yeah. and part of your work is on the stage, but yeah. a lot of it is also off stage. And look, as we know, some artists love going out there and doing it and partying, and yeah. some, are, um, some just want to go home and relax. Uh, it's always difficult for the artists because quite often they might have a show the next day or a matinee the next day, wherefore an agent or family friends can go out and party all night yeah. and we can don't have that pressure of getting up and singing the next morning. Yeah, so. Wander into the office at 10 o'clock. Oh, 11. <laughs> <laughs> but other than opening nights, I guess you've got sort of a lot of nights in the week that could be spent at the theatre. Well, except for the last 12 months, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And you can get a bit burnt out because on average I'd go three times a week. Um, sometimes you might only go once and quite often I go four or five. Yeah. Um, and the, the down part of it is racing from work, home, quickly changing. Sometimes you go straight from, from work. Um, but uh, you can get a bit um, blurry-eyed about it, not just because you've had a big day at work, but also because you might have seen four shows during the week. Yeah. The good example I use is when people go overseas, they may only be in London, the West End, or, or Broadway for five days. They try to fit in as many shows as possible. You've got jet lag, and if someone said to you, what did you think of that show? You say, I've got no idea. <laughs> it's <laughs> like you bought your tickets, you're excited, but you have no idea because it's really a waste. And I used to try to fit in six shows in about five days, like go to different matinees and too much. Too it was like binge watching something on Netflix. Mm. You sort of think, it, you're loving it while you're watching it. And then you think, but it's what did I see? It's a blur. You can't remember. And, and, you, and you can't rewind and go back later. Yeah. I remember I saw Harry Potter a few years ago in London, and because it's in two parts, of course. And I went one night, absolutely loved it. Went the next night, fell asleep in the first part of it. So missed, you know, you're spending hundreds of dollars. I yeah. missed most of it. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's a fantastic production. I saw it again here in Melbourne, and I'm so pleased I had the advantage of seeing it again. Yeah. But you don't always get that chance to see everything again. Yeah. Well, it's great that theatres are opening again, mm. uh, slowly. I mean, they've been at various, you know, 50% capacity, 75. We've got them working at 100% now in uh, Sydney. Sydney, that's, which is fantastic. What about Melbourne? Is that... We're back to 100 now. Right. Um, it depends on the theatre. Yeah, but um, it's it's just we just got to be careful. And it's like Brisbane, you know, they went they had openings like uh, come from way opened and had to close because they had a little lockdown for a minute. So we've just got to be flexible with what's happening. Uh, Are production houses and producers sort of uh, now starting to do work? Are you getting stuff across your desk? Absolutely, yeah. which is fantastic. Look, I always said the the top tier shows, and I don't want to be elitist, but you know you've but got the big commercial music, yeah, yeah, like the Cameron Macintosh shows or the, or the the, the 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 Disney shows or you know Gordon Frost, Michael Castles, and whatever. They've got a bit more backing behind them. So if you're going to a situation where you're into a rehearsal and they have a bit of a a lockdown, the second tier shows couldn't afford that full stop. 
So why would they want to open up when things are still a bit up in the air? Because they just could not afford to rev up that marketing again. Um, There'll be some shows coming back later this year that we thought may not happen, which is brilliant. Great. Um, That they're starting to be going to production. Well, some of them, yes, that's right. And some of them won't come back. We know for sure that some won't come back. They may eventually. But it's exciting to see the, the little ideas of what might be happening. And, you know, I've got a little jigsaw puzzle on my computer working out which one's going where and who's going to go in first. And, and uh, it, was, it was great the last year, Peter, um, because we probably had a bit more time to discuss things. But um, although I deal in live theatre, television and film, my main emphasis was on live theatre because we were really concerned. We didn't know when it was going to come back again. Yeah. And I had... Uh, the great opportunity of working with a lot of producers, a lot of um, venue operators over the last 12 months, having meetings, discussions, um, to see how things could work. And it's been great. It's been really good to have these open discussions. It's cliched, but we're in it together. And if we don't work together, it's not going to happen. It really is not. And we've dealt with equity and said, come on, guys, we've got to all come in together because it's not going to happen at all. Yeah. It's been held, but I think it's given the industry a, a lovely opportunity to reset itself oh, yes. in, in many regards. Yep. Um, so. And I don't think we should forget what we've gone through. Yep. I think it's important. We can't just jump up and say, let's go full speed. We've got to learn from this yep. and know that we've got to be very cautious about things. And there's no doubt we need live theatre back again. Yeah. And it's fine for people to say, I've been watching Netflix, I've been watching things online. But I, I did a show yesterday. I didn't personally perform it. Uh, one of my artists did. and um, But it was wonderful to see the audience afterwards. The first time they've been out, the first time they've been without a mask, and we're talking about an older audience here, yeah. it was so exciting yeah. to talk to them afterwards and know that they were excited. Yeah. You know, you could just feel it in the theatre. It's that whole thing about live theatre, isn't it? It has healing mm. properties. It makes you feel good. It sets oh. off... Great endorphins. and yeah. yeah. And that's another thing about what I've been talking to the producers about. They're not going to bring back a down-and-out show at the moment no. that's a bit depressing because a lot of people won't want to go to it. Well, I spoke to Lyndon Terracini yep. recently who said the opera season always starts with the production of La Boheme. And he thought, oh, I thought it was a bit wrong to sort of start with a show about a plague. And <laughs> so exactly. They programmed The Merry Widow, which was a great show. Well, of course. Yeah. And that's just light. And people could just sit and relax and enjoy... Yeah. And especially if you've got to go to the theatre with a mask on. Mm. Um, and a lot of theatres around Australia, we've been wearing masks. Yeah. Yeah. Although Adelaide, I didn't. We were in Adelaide a couple of weeks ago and, and they didn't um, because they were working on a different... Every state's different, as we know. Yeah. They're working on a different um, structure where they did have people seated socially distancing. Wherefore, if you went to a theatre in Melbourne or Sydney, you've, you're wearing your mask but you can sit next to each other. I yeah. was climbing some of the staircases in those theatre foyers. I thought I was in Masquerade from Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> it is a bit like that, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> Slightly yeah. uglier masks, yeah. though. Uh, Mark, do you remember the first theatre that you entered? I'm going to re- press rewind big time The here. first theatre that I entered? Yeah. I, oh, goodness, there's a good question. I remember the excitement of going to Her Majesty's probably when I was about eight years of age. Mm. Remember what you saw? Uh, now you're going to get me. It would have been... A musical, no doubt. It was a musical because my mother took me. And it would have been... It could have either been Carousel or it could have been Tony Lamond and Oliver. 
Right. Yeah, I'll have to check that. It was around 1964. Right. Did I just say my age? I think I just let everybody know my age then when I worked it out. I can edit that out. Yeah, please edit that out. No, I I can accept that. Um, Yeah, but around that time, and I remember the excitement of going into the foyer and seeing all these people dressed up and the buzz of the overture. That was the most exciting thing ever. And you were hooked. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I went to nearly every musical that I could imagine. My mother was fantastic. She took me to all the shows. But as I got older, I got excited so much that I would try to get to the opening nights. Now, when you're a teenager, you don't get to go into opening nights. I don't know how I ever did it, but I used to get there and work out a way of getting to the party afterwards. Really? Oh, yeah, it was shocking. Oh, I think it was fantastic. fantastic. Oh, it was just madness. Just crashed. You couldn't do it now. Oh, it crashed everything there. Yes. But you couldn't do it now. It's all too restricted. Yeah. But, Were um, you a, a second actor? Were you sort of, you know, those folk that used to sort of just go in for the second act? Go um, back in I with the did crowd. eventually. Yeah. You're dotting me in, aren't you? <laughs> I remember when I was, at, um, I was at uni, because I was studying drama then, and um, uh, a chorus line was on at right. Her Majesty's in Melbourne. And I'd already seen it. And friends of mine, we had a drink after uni one day. And we are talking about the show, and they said, oh, we'd love to go and see it, but we can't afford it. And so I'm looking at the time, thinking, oh, right. And I said, okay, I've got an idea. <laughs> and you've got to be careful what day of the week you did it, but you go up into the, don't tell Mike Walsh this. Oh, he wasn't, he didn't no, own it he then. Didn't it then. He didn't no, own it then, no. so it was all fine. Um, and I used to go up to the, we used to go up to the gods. Well, you'd go up to the gods and you'd mix with everybody at interval and have a drink at the bar. And then wait until everybody went in and then just went past the ushers now and just sit. It probably wasn't Chorus Line because I don't think they had an interval. I think it played straight Ooh, through. So it was some other me. dance. You, you are right too. Yeah. Um, did it have an interval? No, no it did played right through. That was it the did. whole You're right. conceit it must have been of the something show. Else. Lock you into that audition. It did. You're right. Yeah. I'll have to have a think which one it was. But uh, yeah, we used to do that. It was great. Right. So you're a Melbourne boy. You grew Melbourne up boy. Yeah. Grew up here. Um... Yeah, went to school. Was school good? School was great. Um, there's a reservation there, isn't there? Yeah. It was great. It was an academic and sports school. And I wasn't that academic. I loved sport, but I loved drama. Yeah. So I used to do the school plays and whatever and get involved with them. And then eventually I'd direct the junior play you know, when I was at school. Well, were they, were the, uh, you were doing musicals too, I imagine. No. No, just no, plays. Oh, no. They weren't that creative. There was no oh, you'd music do, department. You'd be doing A Man for All Seasons and The Crucible. Um, so classics. Oh, yeah, classics. Yeah. Uh, Death of a Salesman. Um, I'm just trying to think what we did. And then eventually we did a couple of comedies because I said I'm getting a bit sick of all this. Um, and then I'd go to the, 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 the uh, another school and do a, another production when yeah. I left school and whatever. Um, yeah, but then I realised that I wanted to be an actor and I thought, well, there's not many courses um, in those days. There was only NIDA and I considered auditioning for that, but I didn't. So I ended up auditioning for um, Melbourne Uni. There was a drama course, um, which was, you got a Bachelor of Education, basically. Right. You know? So, you, so there's something to fall back on. That's right. So it was a four-year course. I majored in drama, music, and psychology. Um, and then basically I came out a teacher. Um, and I never wanted to work full-time as a teacher. I got a couple of, couple of jobs um, at schools, part-time. And I enjoyed the part-time work. But during that time I wanted to audition. 
Um, so that gave me the chance to go off and do auditions. But of course, the school was concerned if I got a job, that I would just disappear. Right. So I used to say to them, I'm in here for the, you know, the, the long haul. So I think the longest I did was two years. And then the bug hit me when I was auditioning and getting shows. Um, I did a bit of tally in the early days where I could do that around my teaching. Because you didn't have to leave Melbourne. Yeah. So this is with Crawford's, was it? Or? Yeah, Crawford's, yeah. yeah. Goodness, yeah. Big production house at the time. Oh, that was huge. I remember going out there at Abbott's Fitter, I think it was. Uh, yeah, they'd, they'd have their own casting department too, I think. Yes, they did. Yeah. yeah, they had their own casting department. Times have changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so um, what, what were you teaching? What, what subject? Oh, well, basically then, drama wasn't a, a year 12 subject then. Right. It was about to come in. Yeah. So look, I taught social studies or the arts type of subjects yeah. you know i taught drama at a young level so I'd, in those days i taught primary secondary and then i went into tertiary tertiary i taught at tafe as well uh drama for for adults uh so and i loved it it was great were you able to direct any school production yeah oh yeah, yeah. i did a few yeah. yeah i think the first was at melbourne high school i did um guys and dolls great yeah which was terrific really loved it and then I went back to other schools and directed quite a few musicals, yeah, which I love, love doing. And I didn't have to get mixed up in the red tape of the schools yeah. because it was very, very you know, difficult. Um, but, uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. I love working with the kids, um, but uh, the school system wasn't for me yeah. at all. Yeah. So you must have had representation if you're going off and auditioning for things, eh? I did yeah. then. Who was your agent? Um, then on no longer an agent. Yeah, right. Um, and um, and it was funny because when I worked in that area, I worked part time at an agency, and then I went um, when I realised that I didn't have an agent, I started to kind of do my own yeah. work for myself. Right. Yeah. Um, and other friends of mine I started to do work for. I found it easier to represent other people than myself. Really? Yeah, yeah. well, that's always... I did a lot of the, too invested. I did a lot of the contracts myself for me, right. but I wasn't pushy enough, you know. Um, I remember that... Um, I've got to be careful who I talk about, don't I, Betty? You'll have to edit the sound. <laughs> no, I can, I can say some people because he'd have a laugh. Ken Mackenzie Forbes gave me one of my first jobs um, at the, the Big Opera, and I was doing... Um, HMS Pinafore. That's uh, the, the Paul Eddington. Yes, that's right. right. Geraldine yeah. Turner, John O'May. Geraldine Turner, John yeah. O'May, that's right. Philip Gould, Marina. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was given the wonderful position of understudying Paul Eddington, which was huge. Um, and, But, of course, I was negotiating my own contract, so I didn't really do much for myself for that. I was just thrilled to be doing it. Thank goodness I never got on. I wasn't that good, you know. We did a tech run one day and everybody said, that was great, Mark. But you could see it on their face thinking, oh, my God, I, I hope, he, hope he never goes on. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul was great to work with. He was really great. He was a very quiet man and he wasn't well at that stage. And he, he, I remember he used to ask me into his dressing room. We'd talk about the character and things. Oh, well, that's very generous. Oh, he was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Lovely man. He was a Quaker, wasn't he? Or... I think so, yeah. yeah. I think it was a Quaker or something similar. Yeah. But uh, really interesting. Really interesting. And when I think back now, I was probably a bit reserved. I, want, I would have asked him so many more questions mm. if I'd known. Mm. Mm. So all those kind of things, it's, it's great. You forget you've got a little bit of experience from these people. You but know. you're teaching yourself agenting, are you? 
I mean, well, would would you be aware, you know, if you're handling your contract there, that that, that you need to get a, a cover loading every time if you oh, were to go on? I knew on the basis and, of it, yeah. um, and probably because I'd, I'd worked part time in an agency anyway, just for very short time. So I knew the basics of the live performance, um, not the live performance agreement, the uh, performance of a collective agreement then. And um, so the loadings and things, but of course I didn't push for a bigger loading. It's hard to negotiate for yourself. So it's much easier now, much easier to be able to negotiate for someone else. Well, what about the vocal chops? You're obviously uh, proving yourself as a singer. Are you getting into HMS Pinafore and... Pirates of Penzance. Pirates of Penzance was one of the first ones. Um, Where do I go as a pirate? Oh, now who have you been talking to? <laughs> well, let's just say one who? of your one of your actors who, who said to ask <laughs> ask him, "Where do I go as a pirate?" Would you care to enlighten me on that story? Thanks, Peter. <laughs> um, it's the most unusual question, but a very unusual, even more unusual answer. Um, we're at the Lyric Theatre in Brisbane, and and it's probably very similar now. I haven't been backstage for a couple of years. But it was all very white backstage. And every corridor and every room looked exactly the same. It was like a hospital. And uh, when we were doing uh, Pirates, this was the original Broadway uh, production. Which VSO had VSO did, it. yeah. And in the first act, we played... We all played... I better get this right. We all played Pirates. And then we changed into Policemen. Um, so we did both those roles in the first act. In the second act, we all split, and some of us stayed pirates, and some of us went became policemen for the rest of the act. Yep. And at the beginning of the second act, the pirates all had to go backstage uh, th- through the front of house and come out through the audience, up through the seating and everything. We had to crawl on stage, and the policemen went through sorry the, 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 the onto the stage and came out that way. Well, I'm backstage talking to everybody, and of course, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, they're in their policeman's outfit, and we're all chatting, and I hear the opening music, and I went, oh, God, where do I go as a pirate? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and they're trying to push, tell me to go down this corridor. I said, that's not the right way. They all look the same they're corridors. All the same. They're all white. Yeah, yeah. 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 Didn't quite get on on time. Oh, didn't you? But you only do that once, don't you? You don't do it again. Yeah. Because I was talking to the guys and looking at them thinking, well, you don't have to be on stage yet. I don't have to be on stage. And then I looked at my costume and looked at theirs and I thought, we're different characters. I shouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So where do I... And I screamed out, where do I go as a pirate? And that, that lasted for a long time. Wow, it's still going. It's still going. I love it. It's a great story. I'll find out later who that person was that told you. <laughs> you could probably guess. You were probably talking to him at the time. It was probably Hobson, was it? Oh, yes. Mm. yes. But I, I won't... Uh... Yes, I won't. I'll tell. get him later. Tell <clears throat> Perth, you, the State Theatre Company over there. Were you? Did you direct something over there? I did a. Uh, no, I didn't direct. I ended up taking over direction of a of a play over there. Um, I went. This was an unusual story. Uh, someone had dropped out of a production, and um, it was a young guy. I think he got a film or something, and they were looking for a young actor. And um, at that stage, my agent was talking to the producer and he said, I might have someone. So we talked over the phone. I didn't even audition. Right. Um, and I ended up going over there and I thought I was petrified because we'd only spoken over the phone and done a bit of an audition over the phone, but that was it. And he'd seen a photo of me. So we'd had two conversations on the phone. And I was an okay actor. I wasn't great. And when I arrived, it was really unusual um, because these... 
lovely Perth actors are all there, but I heard someone say, oh, who's the import? And it was a very unusual time because I thought they were just joking. But it was very clicky because they thought, why are we bringing someone from the east to take a, a role? But because they had to find someone very quickly, they couldn't find someone there. Mm. And then from there, um, the director was working on another production and he got caught up in Adelaide and I ended up taking over because I'd had a bit of directing background. He asked me to take over direction, which was even more difficult because they didn't respect me as an actor. Why would they respect me as as a director? director. And it was horrific. The first week was shocking. Uh, But eventually we were all best buddies and we had the best time. I was over there for a couple of months. It was fantastic. Yes. It was really good. The healing properties of theatre. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, look, I was young then and I would have loved to talk to each one individually and say, come on, we've got to get on with this. You know, we're in this together. Let's do it. Yeah. But I didn't have the confidence then. Yeah. So I just had to gradually get their trust. And someone asked me how for a drink one night, a couple of the other cast members. But they were very standoffish. Well, I think it's not uncommon that, that actors in a particular state can become territorial. Oh. And if there's someone from another state that comes in to do a gig... But um, we're all actors yeah. in this country. and uh, It's a small country. Too. It's a small country. Um, and it was a shame. But, um, but we had the best time. Yeah. It, it ended up being very successful. Well, the play wasn't successful. What was the play? Um, the Buck Stops Here. Never heard of it. It was an original piece written by um, a Perth boy. Right. And um, I don't know if it's ever been done again. Yeah. Um, but I do know that it's appeared in schools for them to do the play. Right. And because we were the first cast ever, as you'd probably know, when you've got the script, they always put the original cast there. So my name appears yeah. in every every edition. Fabulous. I know. So my name's there and people call me up and say, I didn't know you were an actor. There yeah. you go. Um, but that happens with a lot of Australian plays, I think. We, you know, we've seen a lot of great premieres of Australian plays, but they very rarely receive a second production. That's right. That's because, I suppose, there's a whole new product that comes or, along every year. Or we and... don't have the money behind it. Mm. We don't have the backing. Because overseas we're lucky. Because if, if you do one tryout, you might do a second or third or fourth. Here, we might only be able to afford to do one tryout. And if you've done your reading, which doesn't cost you that much money, yeah. but if you do a workshop, that costs you money. And you may not have the money to take it to the next step, which is really frustrating. Mm. But, um, yeah, with that, with that play, you know, they got a grant to do it. And look, some parts were good, but it needed a rewrite. Yeah. It needed a rewrite. Time. Uh, yeah. So uh, music theatre comes into your orbit. You're doing a lot of music theatre. And yep. at a time when uh, Australia was, was hit by that, that British, I don't want to say British invasion, but all of those juggernaut musicals, Phantom, mm. Cats, Les Mis, are, are arriving uh, in Australia. We called the them the mega Brown. musicals. And they were. They were huge, they were huge. beasts which yeah. overtook the world. Yeah, but, yeah. So I finished performing in about 87 when Cats was about to hit. And then I started working as an agent then. And that's when everything started to take off, which was great. Um, I was working at an agency in Sydney. I worked for a theatre company in Sydney, first of all, a small theatre company, and then ended up working... They had the agency affiliated with them. Phillip Street Theatre was a great... Um, little theatre in Sydney that's yeah. since disappeared and been pulled down. But people like Mel Gibson trained there and, and David Wenham trained there. And uh, it was terrific to, to work with all these people. And uh, I'm going off on a tangent, but 
what was great about it was that I was thrown the deep end. I was sometimes asked to direct productions or assistant direct, um, work part-time in the agency. Um, I also did publicity. Um, I remember at one stage they were doing Pygmalion, uh, the play, um, for um, schools, and one of the lead actors fell ill. And they didn't have an understudy, so who has to go on with the script? <laughs> Frightening. Gave, gave your Henry Higgins? Uh, no, I did Pickering, actually. Pickering, that, huh? Yeah, wow. I played Henry before. That would have been easier. Yeah. I played him at school, so that would have been great. But no, I had to play Pickering. I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I've helped direct it, but I didn't know the lines. Charge? I make no charge. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> See, you, I'll ring you, Peter, next time we need to pick right, right? it yeah. <laughs> Yes, I just freaked out. And, and look, they said, oh, it's only the school kids. They won't know. Of course they knew because they know yeah, the, the script, words. Yes. They've got the script in front of them. Yeah. It was terrible. So you do all... But you've the, got to keep the curtain up, don't you? Oh, you've got to keep yeah. the curtain up. Yeah. yeah. And then we'd do pantos. And um, remember, I did Cinderella and I was the ugly stepsister. So you'd do a 10 o'clock show and then come down at, say, quarter past 11... And then you'd go back into the office and I was working as an agent. So you'd sit there with your hair and makeup on. Or sometimes I'd take my wig off and sit there. People took photos of me sitting there with all my makeup on doing negotiations. Brilliant. But you had to do it all. You had to do it all. So that's when I... And I that was around the time of Cats, I think. And we had um, people auditioning for Cats. And I joined an agency in Melbourne during Les Mis. And... Um, the agency, I was working there part-time and they wanted me to stay full-time and they said, what do you want to do? Um, and I said, look, I'm not too sure if I want to stay here. And eventually they said, well, what do you, you know, tell us what you want to do. And I said, well, Phantom's coming up and Les Mis is happening. Why don't we look at doing a music theatre part, the, yeah. part of the um, the company? And they already had, a, this is performance management it's since gone, but they had a classical area that they put a lot of people into the operas. They had a cab, cab, uh, cabaret comedy area. Um, a lot of talented comedians were in there. And then the straight straight actors. And a lot of them crossed over. And I said, well, why don't we look at music theatre? And I think while I was there, we did about 30 contracts for Phantom. Um, yeah, it was fantastic. And I learned as I went along, dealing with you know, the, all the guys at Cam Mac. You know, I still see some of them, you know. Um, and it was fantastic. I used to go down to the Princess Theatre and go to the offices and do all the negotiations because I sometimes have about six, seven people in the show at one time. Yeah. It was great days, uh, but I was still learning then, you know, so you had to really, really try as hard as you can. But we think of those mega musicals, you know, Cats, Lemmy's Phantom and Miss Saigon. Yep. And they have given an extraordinary amount of work to, to actors, singers. Um, in the multiple casts yep. and return seasons that they've had. Yeah. Look, Cameron has done some amazing things. Um, and it's a shame that he doesn't have an office here anymore. Mm. Look, I must admit, Michael Castle's like a, his agent here, um, which is great. But they used to have a beautiful office in, in the city, in Sydney. And um, it, it, was, it was a real vibey time because everything was happening. Um, and you knew another show was going to come out and another show and another show and you knew that they were going to be a success so the venues or the theatres were excited to have them because they knew they could lock them in for two years Um, and that hadn't happened for years in Australia Um, all they had to do was find a theatre to put it in where you went obviously it's My Fair Lady 
It would the have been original. Good. Well, My Fair Lady was yeah. the longest running, as you know. Um, and then, and, had and two, then it was Phantom. Two companies in um, yeah. Yeah. Right. But Miss Saigon didn't sell as well. Um, I don't think that got down to Melbourne the first season round. I think it was only Sydney from memory. Um, but Cats did extremely well. Um, I was there at the opening night in talking of opening nights in Sydney. With the bomb scare? The bomb scare. Right. See, you know all about it. I and wasn't there. I, I was. And it was the weirdest thing because you walked out of the theatre and as we did, we walked around the side and there's a lane there that goes into the MLC centre. And they took us all into the MLC centre, which is a shopping centre. Why would we be standing in a shopping centre yeah. if... And then, of course, all the cars start coming in. Yes. And I'm thinking, why are the cars coming in here? I'm thinking, oh, that's right, they're real. Yes, they're not cats. <laughs> they're, they're not cats. I had to think about that. But Deb Byrne was halfway, sing, halfway through singing Memory right. at the end of the first act. And they had to take her off stage and everything stopped. But it also happened with Les Mis. I shouldn't give anybody any ideas. But the most ridiculous time... Um, when people do silly things. And, um, yeah. This was a time also before mo- mobile phones. Oh, yeah. Yep. How, how have mobile phones helped the industry? Um, because you can contact people immediately. I mean, what the, was it like dealing with, some good with things clients that, <laughs> in that time? Back then. Back then, trying to... Oh, a nightmare. If they didn't have an answering machine at home, you couldn't get in touch with them. But there wasn't as much immediacy as there is now. And and we, you know, emails were just kind of starting to happen. We were using the computer, but we were still faxing people. Yeah. Um, so you'd type out your fax and you'd put it into a little machine and it would come out the other end. Um, and that, that was the incredible thing. But getting in touch with artists, nobody would expect you to get back to them. I mean, I get a casting this afternoon for tomorrow morning for someone for a television commercial. And we've got to get back to them this afternoon. Did it well, used to happen? It's, it is immediate. It, no, no, it didn't happen like no, that. No, you had a bit more time. Oh, of course. Yeah. You, how could you, you how get on to your artists? Yeah, yeah. Because they might have been working in a different... They might have been working in retail or in a cafe or something, and you weren't allowed to ring the retail shop and say, can you put John Smith on? You had to be realistic and say, well, I'll leave the message on their answering machine at home, and then they mightn't go home. They might go out to dinner first and get home at 11 o'clock at night, then they'd leave a message for you on your answering machine or the work answering machine. So it was time-consuming. But we didn't know anything different then. No, that's the way you dealt with things. But now with the mobile phones, your emails are on the phone, all the social media, all the text messages, it just never stops. So I get things every day. You wouldn't get a breather. No, you don't. You put a phone down, then there's an email there. Yep. Yep. So some days I just have to prioritise and don't respond. Because otherwise, you've got to be there the whole time. So there's obviously a point where you decide, I can do this, I do it well, and I want to go out my own. So when did that MGM begin? Okay. It started... um, So I was a performance management. I'd done a lot of phantom stuff. I got a bit burnt out, and I wanted a break. And we talked about me leaving for a while, and it took me a while to get the guts to say, I'm out, I've had enough. So I actually left in about 1994, I think it was, and decided to open up my own company. But I didn't know if I definitely wanted to just be an agent or not. Um, So I freelanced. I did some work for... um, I did work in casting, actually. I was in Melbourne, but decided to stay here. And then I got work up in in um, Sydney for a few months working on a country practice. Do you remember the television yeah, show? Yeah, yeah. Wanton Valley. Yes, that's right. Um, and I'd always been interested in casting, but but it was different to work with television producers. 
So that was an interesting experience. And I did some um, casting for Frosty on... Um, uh, I'm just trying to think of the name of the show. Isn't that terrible? Um, Crazy For You. Yeah. And so I just did kind of bits and pieces for a while. But when I left the agency, Marina Pryor came to me and said, I still want to stay with you. I said, well, I'm not opening up an agency. And she said, well, why not? And I said, well, I'm being kind of faithful to the other company. I'd never said to them I wouldn't, and they didn't say I can't. So what happened for a while is we came to an agreement where we both managed Marina, and then things just kind of grew and grew and grew, and um, some of my other artists went and got other agents because I wasn't going to be an agent. And eventually a lot of them came back to me, which was terrific. And, you know, we're still friends today. I mean, I've had people leave me over time, but some have come back, some haven't. But you know, Nothing personal. It's nothing the personal. It's the business. That's right. <laughs> and look, it, it was difficult, first of all, because you felt like it's a bit of an insult. How yeah. dare you leave me? Yeah. But everybody gets to a bit of a stage when you think, I need a change. Mm. And I respect that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got to be realistic about it. Because it's like having a bit of a, you know, you've... Breath, 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 breath of fresh air, and um, you just got to be realistic about it. Yeah. So, a slight sidebar: Have you seen Call My Agent on Netflix? Yes, I have. Isn't it brilliant? Yes, it's great. Is it like that? Some parts of it but, is. Some parts. Because I think it was written by uh, an, act, uh, an agent who worked in yeah, an yeah, agency. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, it's I thought great. it's just beautiful. No, it's very clever. Very yeah. clever. Oh, look, we could. T- oh, you know, people say you should write a book one day, and I said I could. But I'd be sued. You'd be sued. That's right. There are some stories. That uh, do you know what? I just go, look, some of my artists probably wouldn't give a damn if I told this wonderful stories because there's some great stories. And I've been fortunate to meet some fantastic people and work with some fantastic people. But um, there's some interesting ones as well. Yeah. You know? yeah. Some I don't want to work with. <laughs> so Marina is your first client. Yeah. How do you go about finding clients to represent? Do they come to you or do you go... It's a bit of both. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a bit, uh, with Marina, we'd known each other beforehand and then I was at the agent and I realised last year, we, I think we... I've represented for now 30 years or 31 years, I think, this year, which is frightening. And we're still talking. It's a marriage. Uh, I know, it's a marriage. I, I, I actually gave her away for her second marriage. Fantastic. We joke about that. Yeah. But it's lovely. Yeah, I know. Yes. It was terrific. Um... And the, look, the artists over time, sometimes they'd come to me, sometimes I'd be talking to someone, they'd say, oh, can I have a chat with you? I need a bit of a change and whatever. And I'd, I'd always say to them, look, please come and have a chat, but I can't, I can't be in a situation where I'm poaching you. Because yep. I would never do that. No. It's just not on. Um, but I'm more than happy to have a chat with people if they're not comfortable with what's going on in their career and whatever. But... It's not easy being an agent. That's the thing. And I say to people, you know, you, you've got to be realistic. If you're not getting work, it's not necessarily the agent's fault. Um, and I'm not saying it's not, because sometimes we have to do things that we, you know, that we might normally do, because each artist is different. But uh, especially last year, I had a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails. And I said, guys, there's no work. Your agent is not getting you work because there's no work. Yeah. They said, oh, we heard this might be happening. I said, well... So I didn't take anybody on last year. Right. I'm talking to quite a few again now, which is great. Um, some of the grads, um, 
from the different institutions I've been talking to. A few years ago, I made the decision to take some on that I hadn't taken on for a while because I like to keep my agency fairly small. Quite a boutique, isn't it? Yeah, because um, I'm very hands-on with them. And I, one of my downfalls maybe is that I don't always grab the people straight away as I like to get to know them. And I quite often would miss out on good talent because of that. Yeah. And I like to sit down with them, have a good chat. They can ask me questions. I can ask them questions. I say, okay, let's have a think. Let's chat again next week. And then I might say, let's get in the room together. Let's look at what you can do. Because normally with a showcase from these institutions, they're like you know, three minutes long. Mm. You can't really get a good indication of what they can no. do. And I think if I'm selling someone, and I am, I'm selling their talent, I need to know what I'm selling. Yeah. But quite often they've said, oh, I'm sorry, someone's grabbed us and, you know, if, if I didn't agree now, they mightn't take me on. And, and I said, okay, that's fine. But I always say to artists, don't feel pressured. You've got to be realistic in the short term yeah. for the long term. Yeah. And if you click with an agent, great. So if they've clicked with someone, fantastic. But don't just go with someone for the sake of it, thinking I might miss out. Because we might not take anybody on at the moment, but come... July of this year, I might take on another 10. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. There is a lot of anxiety with those kids just coming yes. out of drama training. Absolutely. The pressure's on. I have to have an agent. The to pressure's work. on. Yeah. And so I'm a bit stupid because I, I always say to them, please, there's no rush. Because yeah. normally, I normally talk to them about November. And I say, if you haven't got an agent by December, don't, don't panic because the agents aren't going to want to know you over Christmas. Yeah. So let's wait until early in the next year and they might have a fresh approach about it. But you need to click with your agent. Because if you don't click with them and let us say, yes, I want to take you on, in the, in the long run, they might want to work for you. Yeah. And you might want to work with them. You know? yeah. What's your definition of an agent? Um, okay, good question, because we get asked this a lot. And it's especially because I call myself a personal manager for some of my artists. In the States, it's very different. So because an agent and a manager have different roles... An agent um, basically gets, helps you get work. Doesn't get you work, helps you get work. Facilitates that. That's right, so. facilitates. And you could be in a situation where you're like a booking agent, where you might just have your roster out there in the world. And a lot of agents work this way. You might have 200 people on your books, but um, the casting briefs come in, you might put people up for something, or you might just be at the end of an email or a phone call, wherefore the people come to you to say, oh, that person's suitable. It's changing a lot now, Peter, because yeah. the, with, the, with the different um, uh, platforms of um, casting briefs, the way they come out, um, you can tick so many boxes and say, I, I'm proficient in all these things. So a casting agent or a director will go in there and pump all this information in. If you've come up with all the ticks, they go, oh, you're the one, we want to see you. <laughs> but really, you may not be able to do those backflips or ride a horse or whatever drive a car backwards or whatever um and a lot of the time people are clever and they think oh I'll just put all these things down well, i wish the casting directors were clever and realize you're going to get them in and they can't do these things yeah. you know? um so there's look there's, there's different ways that we try to to get artists work at the moment and it's it's getting more and more difficult because as we know there's a hell of a lot of artists out there mm. And during COVID, a lot of artists came back from overseas. So especially for the Italian film industry, um, there were 
so many more people in in the the box there yeah. to try to fill the holes, um, and people getting very down about it because there's not enough work. Yeah. It is gradually starting to come back, but it's going to be another year or two. Mm. The life of an artist is is full of a lot of rejection, mm. and and that can be very difficult to sort of understand and and, and manage. How do you support? your your clients your actors with um it, that, that it depends rejection. on the individual yeah. um some you know a lot of artists suffer from an anxiety full stop and they've got to deal with that day to day i like that's why i'm talking about when i get to know an artist yeah. i think that's important then i know how i'm dealing with each one of them um especially over the last 12 months it's been very difficult i've had a few of mine who haven't been able to get work even before that and then to hit that wall when you're about to get a job, um, that can really, really send you for a ride. I mean, one of my artists had been working in the industry for quite a long time, which was fantastic. And they got a, um, they'd been working as an understudy. And they made that big decision I may not want to be an understudy or an ensemble member again. This person was offered a lead role in a show that never got announced. So that person was never announced that they got that role. Right. And that was devastating. Yeah. And you've taken that step. Now, friends of theirs said and, and, and family said, don't worry, you'll be able to do it next year. That show hasn't come back, and I don't think it's going to come back. Wow. So you've built yourself up there to that yeah. level. Um, there's all different levels of disappointment. Um, one of mine, and I'm not specifying here, but has gone from a lot of auditions lately and just missed out. And uh, that's tough. And how you pick yourself back up again and go in again is really, really yeah. difficult. And I've talked to a lot of agents over the last few months and a lot of artists wanted to give it away. And some artists have. Some artists have got other jobs now, especially artists with um, young families who know, especially if your partner is an actor as well, yeah. you can't afford to do it. You need one to be able to go out and make sure you've got a dollar coming in. Yeah. And, and of course, a lot of the, the second, um, second tier jobs for the, for the actors are retail or hospitality. And of course, last year that disappeared too. So especially in Victoria, we just closed down. So it wasn't like you're working um, in insurance in an office or as an accountant or a, or a policeman or a nurse or a, you know, who were always working. Yeah. These people had no work. Some of them would have to go home to their family and live with their family, which is not easy when you've been independent for five years of your life, but now you can't afford to pay your rent. Yeah, so we don't... I mean, we always deal with anxiety. I don't know if you know, but I'm on the, uh, uh, the committee, the um, Arts Wellbeing Collective, and uh, it's based at um, the Melbourne Arts Centre. Um, and we deal with a lot of people with um, depression and anxiety, not just actors, and I'm talking about actors because that's who I represent, yeah. But a lot of um, production people um, who every creative, because that's what we do, we're creative. Yeah. We want to get out there. And Express yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and because we've hidden away, I mean, I've been fortunate because I've been talking to people and working for the last 12 months, uh, not earning any money, mind you, but working. Um, but a lot of these artists have lost confidence. And to get out there and perform in front of people is so difficult. Yeah. And I'm talking about really experienced people who'd ring me the day before and say, I don't think I can do it. So in answer to your question, yes, we de- I deal with it every day, 
every day I deal with someone else, at least one or two people with um, difficulties, and you've got to get their confidence up. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I don't want to push them too far because I might be wrong. Maybe they're not good, good enough to go in for that audition. Yeah. But a lot of them have found it difficult just to go in through that door. I mean, I had one the other day ring me and said, I don't want to go in. I can't do it. And, and they said, I've hesitated in ringing you. I think it would have been easier for me to ring you, you later to say I didn't do it. But I'm ringing you before I'm about to do it because, I'm, number one, I'm thinking, can you talk me into it? Or do I not want you to talk me into it? I'm not sure. I basically talked them into it because I said, I think you might regret it if you don't. And they were thrilled afterwards. And that's what gives me pleasure. But I've also maybe done the wrong thing sometimes and they've gone over the edge and, and not dealt with it and they don't want to perform again for a while. You know, and, and it's really sad. It's awful. Yeah. It's awful. Look, in every industry we deal with this. And, and, but performers... As I said, you cannot hide behind anything. You're out there. You can't go home at night and just hide away. Or you can't go to work in the morning if you've got a shocking hangover and hide behind a desk and pretend everything's fine. If you're not on, you're not on. No. It's, it's, you're exposed. And it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. That's yeah. you know? so frustrating that the, the governments and uh, those people who are sort of supporting the community as we get through this, this pandemic don't appreciate that or understand that they don't understand it i one of the most frustrating things last year peter was dealing with people um this sounds very negative but the government and the general public although they believe they're being supportive they actually don't understand what we do Mm. and i think a lot of the people not everybody in governments i'm just talking about i'm generalizing but i think they think they you click your fingers and we create magic yeah and isn't it fun? Isn't it lovely? No, it's not. It's hard work. Yeah. At the end of the day, we get satisfaction. But I can tell anybody now, me sitting in my office from March until March of this year, trying to reschedule things, trying to keep everybody positive, that has not been fun no. at all. Yeah. And I tried to tell people this. And there were many a Zoom call where I was very outspoken. I said, guys, if you don't want to listen, just go away. Yeah. But Throwing a few dollars here and there, that's fine, but we need support. We need someone to say, you are an important industry. And that's what we lacked all that time. You know? Gee. So your role encompasses the, the business management, but also very personal uh, investment in, in your clients Look, as well. I, th- I think it's important. And I'm lucky I did do psychology at uni. Yeah, yeah. And you've been um, a performer also. Yeah, look, look, and I think that is a key part of it. Because I think because I understand because I was a performer... I know what it's like. And I knew what it was like to get anxious. I was petrified yeah. sometimes when I was understudying people. I just, you know, we all have those dreams. You would have had it. You have those dreams of forgetting your lines yeah. or, you know, going you're on stage. You're not in a costume. Yeah, no, you go on without your pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you're in your pyjamas and you're walking on stage and yeah. everybody's staring at you. Yeah. It's, it's really tough. Um, and constantly, all those anxieties. And some young performers don't talk about it because they think they're the only ones. Mm. But they're not. It happens all the time, and it still happens. I still get anxious about things, yeah. but you've got to get to the stage where you talk about things, and I say you need to talk about your friends. Our family and friends can be supportive, 
but they don't always understand what we're going through. Yeah. And a lot of family members think they're being supportive, and I'm not knocking them, but they say, oh, why don't you just get out there and do a little play or something? <laughs> you go, well, I can't. It just doesn't happen like that. No, no. You know, yeah. So, uh, yeah. oh, there's people on television. You're better than that. Why don't you just go into a television show? You yes. could do that. Okay. Yeah, mum. Yeah, off yeah. I go. Just like that. <laughs> just like that. Well, let's finish on a high. Good. What, what's the best part of your job? What keeps you coming back to the office? The people. The people, yeah. Yeah, the people. Um, I do... I, I, I always talk to my artists about reinventing themselves because don't mean you've got to completely change, but we all go stale. And I've gone stale over time and I've wanted to give away the industry and I've got tired of it. Um, what I don't like about it is a lot of negativity and that's why I try to work with the positive people. I love my lot. They're my family. Yeah. I love working with them. You know, we all have our disagreements, but what keeps me going is the satisfaction that one day we're going to get a job for you. And as an agent, you spend more of your time telling your artists that they haven't got a job than they have. Yeah. And the exciting thing is when you have that one little moment, it might only be once every few weeks, that you tell them they've got a job. Yeah. And that's satisfying. Helping them realise their dream. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people don't understand what we go through because we do go through it with them. We, we go through every little thing of on the phone, what am I going to wear? What am I going to sing? Which script should I do? Um, do you think I should use this singing coach? Or do, I, do you think, or where do I go to get an accent coach? And we go, you know, my hair's looking like this. I said, send me a photo. Oh, I'm a shop, but I get dressed. Should, what will I wear? And I said, well, send me a photo. You know, it's, we go through it together, which right. I love. Yeah. Um, because that's the performer in me. I don't want to be, I was never made to be behind a desk all my life. Mm. So I love to get out as much as I can. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Mark. Um, this has been super, this, this conversation. Thank you, Peter. Has it been all right? You it's been, been fine. Fine? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been great. It's been great, great to talk to you. I hope I haven't bored everybody. You haven't. I waffle on. No, no, you haven't. Now, I'm, I've got to get out of here. Where do the pirates go? <laughs> <laughs> you are cruel. I'll get your pirate outfit. All right. Oh, me party. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Peter. Isn't Mark a charming fellow, a great sense of humour too, and a firm grip on the necessity for artists to tell stories and nourish our humanity? You've been listening to Stages with Peter Eyers, produced and engineered by me. Please take some time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. I'd very much appreciate it. And remember to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Wooshka, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast listening. Check out the Stages website too at www.stagespodcast.com.au. There you'll be able to find the many conversations with creatives recorded over the past three years. You've been listening to episode 192 of Stages. Thanks for joining us. I'll catch you next time. Stages.